Hello, and welcome to episode five of the Becoming Podcast with your host, me, Anne Fancy. I am so glad you're here, and of course, just a friendly, loving reminder that if you like this podcast, I so appreciate your support and your subscription on your favorite podcast platform. Um, today's conversation about uh, on this on this journey of becoming is one of my favorites. It's about authenticity. It's probably one of my favorite words, or qualities, or characteristics. And I would say it always has been. That being said, for me and my experience of life, um, it took until hearing the work of Brene Brown that I found, found someone that I felt like was finally speaking the language of my heart, the language of my soul. I'd been raised in the Catholic, not Catholic, I've been raised in the Christian faith and um, certainly around the Catholic faith too, but I, the the religion piece just never settled for me. It never fit exactly right, and there were always things that just didn't make sense to me. I found difficulty in some of the hypocrisies I saw. Um, I wondered about you know this idea of of people who hadn't met uh, or been introduced to Jesus and and they were living in Africa, and I couldn't understand how. Um, they would somehow, you know, be discluded from this experience of heaven. And that was amongst many of the ways that I felt a disconnect from organized religion. And I'd studied other religions. I'd studied world religions in high school and in college. I read tons of books on Buddhism. I studied the traditional texts of uh, yoga. And, you know, I just never felt like it ever resonated in the way that I needed it to. It always missed something or lacked something that didn't allow me to feel a deep, meaningful connection. Like it made sense and I could see the truth and I could see the parallels of truth from one book to the next. But it didn't speak to my heart. It didn't move me or inspire me in a way that the simple work of authenticity and vulnerability and releasing ourselves from perfection and these ridiculous ideas and measuring sticks. That's what really started to speak to me. And I think that authenticity has probably always been my religion, right? Um, and I and I mean that very loosely. But it's always been a, a quality that I valued. I had a difficult time in high school and middle school. And I remember when it even started in fourth and fifth grade and the Mean Girls. And that they started, the people started to change who they were in order to be accepted by these, you know, self-made popular kids. And I just couldn't hang. I just couldn't, I, I didn't get it. It didn't make sense. I wasn't willing to change who I was in an effort to be part of those groups. And I started to feel really different by then. I mean, I'd felt weird probably my whole life, but in a way that was more obvious that I could no longer and we were being asked to no longer be ourselves and instead we were being asked to start to fit inside these boxes. Um, I could go on and on with stories that I'm sure you have the same ones of what it was like in middle school and I even have all of the moments that I clearly made the wrong choice and I didn't listen to my gut or I made concessions and felt that feeling of contraction when I wasn't being myself. But by seventh grade, I had met my uh, BFF for a couple of years, and we were goofy and friends with everyone, and we're completely our obnoxious 12- and 13-year-old selves. And that felt 
amazing. By high school, totally just didn't fit. I mean, I certainly had friends here and there, but I know people loved high school. I was not that person. There was a lot going on, and I did not like much of it. I think that's probably why I fell into um, being more closely tied in with a church. Certainly, I had been raised that way, and my parents had always been religious, but it was the only version of spirituality I knew. I didn't really, I wasn't really exposed to it until maybe my junior year of high school that I knew much about any other religion. And I liked the feeling that I got from being in church. I liked the spiritual experience of being in church. I just didn't necessarily connect with all of the teachings. I liked the heart of it, um, but there were things that just didn't make sense. And what I did find, though, in that in that youth group is a couple of things. One, we had purpose. We did these mission trips. We were committed to something good, and that felt good. And the energy felt good. It was a place that the band geeks and the... Um, popular kids all hung out together and the walls came down a lot more, maybe not all the way, but definitely a lot more than all the other places and institutions I had been in. And it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful experience for a lot of us. Um, after that, I definitely moved away from organized religion. Um, if you don't know that I have a wife, that would be part of the reason that the church definitely didn't fit, but it was a lot of things. And I got exposed to um, different religions and ideas and did a ton and ton of reading. I think those were the days that Neil Donald Walsh had had his books out and I just consumed those like crazy. But I was able to step into um, a little more freedom around who I was and um, at least, I mean, I, I think I always knew it was just a matter of being able to be that more freely in the world. Granted, I was in my 20s, and everybody knows that being in your 20s is freaking hard. And <laughs> you're really trying to figure out who the hell you are, who you want to date, what you want your life to look like. I went through some really awkward stages of coming out. Um, not that I ever really came out. I sort of never was in, but uh, of trying you know, to be a little more butch. And there are some really terrible pictures of me that made float to the surface one day. But I guess my point with all of this is that both authenticity and spirituality had this like this constant in my life. They were both always something I sought or was working to create, or maybe it's not even the word sought or create, but that I was cultivating. And it was a journey, and it's still a journey, just like everything else is. But only until really a few um, weeks ago, or maybe even just lately, I started to recognize that I really believe that authenticity is a gatekeeper for these practices of spirituality or this connection to living a meaningful life. If you haven't studied Brene Brown's work, and I didn't mention it already after this podcast, go do a Google search of her, B-R-E-N-E, Brene Brown, and listen to her TED Talk. It's powerful. But once I listened to her work, it was like for the first time I heard somebody speaking a language that really spoke to my heart. It spoke to um, what it was like for me to live and the challenges of living authentically in the world and that it takes a lot of courage and it takes um, compassion towards your own self, towards other people, and that what authenticity also offers you is a deep and meaningful sense of connection. 
not only to your own divine self, but when you're in the space of authenticity, if you can think of the places that you feel like you're able to be most you, you can create the most meaningful connections there because you're showing up as yourself. And if you think of the places in your life that you can be the least you, that you wear a mask or that you feel like you have to fit inside a box in order to um, swim in those circles, you'll probably recognize that those relationships and those connections are pretty shallow. Because I can't think of a single situation in which you can show up as somebody else and making a meaningful connection. Because you're just living a lie. And we're living these these just falsehoods of, of who we're pretending to be in order to likely gain respect and love from the outside world or this perceived sense of safety. But it, it's fleeting and it won't last. When it comes into the practice of spirituality, the reason I think it's a gatekeeper is that in order to really be connected to the collective consciousness, you have to have some sense of connection to your own truth. And if you're in denial of your own truth, it would feel hard to feel connected to anyone or anything. In fact, I think that if you feel that, that you're, how do I want to say this? I think that once we can step into the space of being ourselves and authentic, we can allow those numbing and escaping habits to fall away right? If you think of people in your life that you've met that appear on the outside to have it together or appear on the outside to be very spiritual, whether that's because they go to church several times a week and they're dedicated and they read their Bible a lot, or perhaps it's because they meditate regularly and they lived in an ashram and they feel they seem so zen, right? But yet you know something about them or you just get that icky feeling like something is off. I mean, hello, look at the Catholic Church right now and what's happening there, right? There's a huge disconnect that if people are not able to embrace themselves as they are, you can't, you, they're not going to, they're not going to make the mark they're meant to because the people, those of us who are empaths, who are sensitive, the canaries in the coal mine, the ones who feel all the things, right? Us, those people, our bullshit detectors are like on full alert. Anytime I meet somebody whose words and energy don't match what, I, what, I, what I'm feeling from them or if their words don't match their energy or I don't know, just you get that gut reaction, right? That bullshit thing, I have no tolerance for it. I probably have the worst poker face when it comes to that stuff. And I, I'll probably just end up walking away. And I don't mean to be rude. It's like I literally can't be around bullshit anymore. I either have to call it out if I'm in a relationship that allows that to happen, right? Like I have some friendships that I'm, that I, that I'm able to tolerate some level of BS because I'll just call it out when I hear it or I'll challenge it and we can have discourse. But in general, I am so intolerant of bullshit. I hate small talk. I've never liked it. And this is why, because it lacks authenticity. There's no depth to it. And I, I can hardly force myself to do it. And this is getting worse and worse every year. This summer I was at a party in our 
neighborhood. We, I live in one of the burbs of Detroit, and uh, there's plenty of money in this neighborhood and lots of really lovely people. It's a very liberal neighborhood, and I have to say that I freaking love living here. That being said, I found myself at a party with way too many people. It was over 100 people. Maybe I knew 20% of them, and by no, I mean I could identify their face and I might know their name. Um, and I found myself sort of meandering about. My wife was not with me that day, and I, my daughter was off playing. And so I walked up to some familiar faces and entered into a conversation that sounded like they were talking about their interior designer. And cool, whatever. I think that's great. Um, but then the conversation quickly turned to the expense of pillows and the necessity for your pillow to have what I lovingly refer to as pillow cleavage. Now, they were talking about how uh, the, you must have a pillow that, has a, that you can put a knife line in, right? So if you slice that pillow down the side, in the right in the middle, I mean, it has pillow cleavage and that it holds that shape. And that is what makes for a valuable pillow. And I was like, I am so fucking out of here. I can't take it. I literally looked and like turned away. And I think I decided to go play with the kids at that point because I would probably have more meaningful conversation and at least a little joy. Now, I'm not trying to be like judgy McJudgerson over here, but I just now know myself. I can't, I can't take it. <laughs> I just can't, I cannot take it. I can't do it. I can't talk about stupid shit anymore. I had nothing to add to that conversation. In fact, if you want me to come to your dinner party, you can expect that I will take the conversation from pillow cleavage to reincarnation, past lives, quantum physics, or something even more out there in a matter of minutes. It's apparently just who I am now, and I can hardly help myself. And it's a great way to like weed through you know, who, who can hang and who can't. And it's probably a great, great way for me to get invited to less things, which is probably ultimately the best anyway. Um, I say that half jokingly, but what I, what I've found is like, you know, I know that, that BS is necessary for a lot of us in our careers. And when I talk about our careers, I mean yours, luckily for me, I have to do very little BS in the things that I do, but we have to move through the world. On the other hand, if you start to show up as yourself in more and more situations and you peel those layers away, it will at first seem radical to the people that you're around. The people who are expecting you to show up as your very put-together, polite, inside-the-box version of yourself will start to feel surprised and really uncomfortable when you start showing up as your more true self. And you can also expect that people are going to be disappointed um, when you put boundaries up or you say no or you change the way that you've always done things and you no longer try to please everyone or whatever that is for you, right? Or you no longer want to get totally annihilated at the next holiday party, right? Those lines that you start to draw in the sand will make people uncomfortable, and I think it mostly makes people uncomfortable because you're starting to show a mirror to them, a reflection of how you are changing and they aren't. And by changing, of course, what I really mean is how you are stripping away the layers of your conditioning and becoming more who you've always been. 
right? Annie Lamott says that I decided the most subversive, revolutionary thing I could do was to show up for my life and not be ashamed. And by showing up, what I read into that and one of my favorite things about showing up means that you show up as you, unapologetically, that you have decided that you are willing and worth it and that you're willing to step into that vulnerable space, that courageous space, of no longer living in a way to please the outside world, not to please your parents, not to please your spouse, not to please anyone, except for to just feel like you can now listen to the pulse of your soul or the impulses of your soul, that you feel called to move one way or the other, and instead of saying, no, not like that, you say, yeah, all right, let's do it, even though you know it's going to be scary. See, most of us have spent so much time numbing out and pretending that we're living authentically and making sure Facebook and Instagram thinks that we're living authentically, but we're actually not. We're still just keeping some illusion up, right? And I'm not saying go around the world being an asshole because that's your authentic self because I don't believe that to be true either, but people might perceive you to be an asshole for a while because they're not used to you standing in your own truth or standing in your own light or standing in your own power and you're making them uncomfortable. But that rawness, that truth, that, that those moments where a good friend says, how are you? And even though they probably do mean it to ask you that question, they sort of don't. And instead of saying, I'm fine and swallowing it, we start to tell the truth of what's going on because humanness is messy and that's the truth. Stepping into your soul's truth doesn't mean it's not going to be messy. In fact, I would venture to guess it's going to be more messy for a while, more uncomfortable, more unsettled, more weird feeling, because you haven't been living like that necessarily. And maybe you have, but maybe you just need to do it even louder. But instead of saying, I'm fine, you tell the truth. And your friend will likely be like, oh, Thank God somebody else is telling the truth. Thank God I can finally relate with something. And we don't just have to sit around talking about pillow freaking cleavage anymore. (laughs) I mean, I know that's probably just me. Maybe you like pillow cleavage too. And that's cool. Do, you know, that might be your truth. And, And in truth, when I talk about this, I usually give the caveat that one of my best friends in the whole world was in this conversation. And the truth is, she's always liked nice things. And part Not that I don't like nice things, but maybe to a different degree, okay? And it's it's not that it's important to her. She wouldn't act like it's important to her, but it is something she's always cared about. She loves fashion. She loves making things look nice. She will make you feel like you're the most um, lovely human that's ever entered a space every time you see her. And she'll listen to you and hear you and validate you. And that is actually what she's good at. She's good at making things feel important and seen. And that's a really beautiful gift. That is her authentic self. But the rest of us talking about pillows because we don't want to talk about anything else or we don't know how to, that's a different conversation. And I think that spirituality as well as exercise and food and eating and not eating or shopping or not shopping, all of these things I've talked about in previous podcasts, I think that they are just ways to not be yourself. Because if you start to let those things fall away, what you're left with is some serious truth. And that impulse to move in a way that honors your soul will be harder to ignore. 
because you're not piling in all the stuff that's kept you from living it. Now, again, I don't think your job is to be 100% a spiritual being, to go live in an ashram, to never have to deal with the outside world, and to study Buddhism or whatever theory you are most attracted to. I think that's also a, a way to escape, quite frankly. And I don't mean that as a negative. I know that some people, that is part of their path. But I don't think our job is to be so spiritual and evolved that we can no longer have communication with other humans and that when we speak, nobody can relate to us because we're so uh, um, evolved, we're so conscious that we can't even have the human experience. I think what I've heard that was the most accurate thing I heard about this is that your job is to be 100% human and 100% spiritual, right? The tantric philosophy actually was resonated the most deeply with me than any of the other texts that of similar descent had ever hit me because it was about embodying the fullness of living, have the joy, have the pain, have the in-between. And, and within that, are you able to not only honor your divine calling as little and small as those moments seem sometimes or as big as you might be being called to do, can you honor that while also honoring the reality that sometimes shit just sucks, sometimes life is hard, sometimes your relationships are messy, sometimes things need to end and you're afraid to let them end, sometimes you need to move on, sometimes you need to dig in and face it and not run away, right? All of that. That brutal life, right, as Glennon calls it, that is, that's, it's both sides. It's authenticity in your human version of yourself, which leads you to a deeper understanding of your spiritual self. One gives you the key to the other. It's really beautiful, isn't it? I mean, we all know people who've jumped all the hoops, to make sure that they look and appear like they've got their spiritual life together and they're living their life out loud, right? And then you've met them in real person, right? Or you follow them on Instagram or these, um, I mean, I mean this lovingly, but these yoga celebrities or these people who have become Insta-famous and they're really good at creating a brand and content. And then you either meet them in person or you hear things about them through the world, right? And something just doesn't feel right who they've set themselves to be, this facade, this mask, this version of, of themselves that they've set themselves to be, and then you hear from them in, in real life or you meet them, and there's just this huge disconnect and your bullshit meter's going off, I think that's valid. I think that lots of people are not walking the walk. They're creating a facade because it's safe inside that shell. And those facades are even ones that make it look like they got it all together, Right? But the truth is, is that authenticity is what allows you to raise your frequency. It allows you to create a life you love. It allows you to make meaningful connections. And I think that maybe some of those people who are doing that, or these, these um, yoga teachers I've met in, through, the life, through life, I don't think that they even necessarily are fully aware that there's a disconnect. I don't think they're fully aware that they're just spewing platitudes to the masses. I think they think they're making a mark. But unless there's some real soul searching and some healing and some digging and some truth telling, I'm not sure it's going to, actually I'm sure, it's not going to make the mark they intended to make. Usually it's just this one click. There's just one switch that can be made to move a conversation, a message, um, 
a lesson that somebody's offering you to the world from surface level platitude to really digging deep. And it's the context of real life and somebody willing to see themselves as clearly as they can with all of their faults and strengths lit up. It's not easy to do that because the world is going to judge you. People are going to judge you because especially when they're not doing it themselves, those are the favorite people to judge, right? Um, Brene Brown quotes, uh, what is it? Who is it? Theodore Roosevelt, I think it is. Um, You know, it's the critics. The critics love to judge. The ones who are not in the arena getting their ass kicked, those are the ones who are the most judgy pants, right? Those ones are the ones that are like, telling you how wrong you've got it. And that's going to happen. You're going to show up as yourself in the world, and people are not going to like it. They liked it better with you inside your box. You living how you've been living. You keeping, towing the company line, you know? And it's not going to be necessarily easy, but I, as all of this, I, I swear it's worth it. I can't think of a time that I wish I'd been less myself. Right? And instead, what I've noticed and I start to continue to notice for myself and for others is paying attention to when you feel those contractions. You're like, oh, ooh, I said yes, I really wanted to say no. Or why did I pretend to care about that conversation instead of just excusing myself politely? Or just the moments that you know you've contracted, you haven't followed your gut, your instinct, your soul's truth. Sometimes they're really subtle. Sometimes they're glaringly obvious. And those mistakes are important ones to make because those are the ones that lead you back to yourself. You know, it's, it's, it's that quote that goes around all the time. It's knowing who you are and being brave enough to live it. But it's also knowing who you aren't and being brave enough to acknowledge the moments or the decades that you lived away that wasn't in deep alignment. And why do we care so much about, about alignment and spirituality and being awake? Because have you looked at the world? There is some stuff going on that I know, no matter which side of politics or anything else you sit on, we can agree is not going right. And it might seem hard to believe, but your willingness to show up authentically as you and your willingness to step into this heightened sense of awareness, this consciousness, this collective, even if you're just living in very small ways, honoring yourself, that creates a huge impact on the world. Those ripple effects go on and on. I just, I just want for so many more of us to know that you are supported in being who you are. The world is ready for you to be you. The world is ready for more of us to speak truth into the world. I think about um, in Huntington Woods, where I live, we had this uh, <clears throat> this uh, drag queen story time. And I think you can have whatever opinion you want about it. I'm going to tell you what what it meant for the people who showed up the night of the meeting. So there was a meeting about whether or not we should have this, and the city you know, had to change the meeting place because it was, was going to be so full. And there were not very many opposers, and most of the people in my very liberal little city came out in support of this. And there was a young man who came to speak up, and he was wearing um, the uh, yarmulke, 
and came to the podium, and his mother and sister were sitting nearby. And he spoke about his own experience and that growing up was really hard for him because he was born a girl. And his his understanding of who he was was so um, was was so little because he wasn't able to see role models or anyone in the world that felt like he did. He felt so deeply alone. And that if this story time, if this exposure to this this um, information about what it is to be trans was available to him, it would have saved him a lot of heartache. And he wouldn't have had to struggle in the same way. And people came and said, listen, people are, are more and more confused about their gender now, now that the internet and social media has become. Somebody quoted something like, in England, 400% of people are um, confused now about their gender identity. It's a 400% increase on gender identity confusion since, since the dawn of social media. Now, my bullshit meter goes, what? Come on, right? The difference between before and after is that the World Wide Web has allowed us to not feel so alone, to recognize that there are people like us in the world, because people are speaking their truth and you don't have to do it in the quiet circles of your small town. You can put it out into the world and feel less alone. What, what, what hasn't changed is that people are, there are all kinds of people in the world. There are trans people. There are gay people. There are straight people. There are black people. There are white people. There are people of all different gender fluidities and orientations and religions and truths. That hasn't changed. But what has changed and what's changing still is that more people are willing to have a voice, put a voice to it. More people are willing to say, I'm here. I matter. I'm not alone. I don't have to be alone. I don't want to be alone. And those are such brave choices that honor the depth of your soul. And this young man said, you know, if this program had existed, he wouldn't have had to suffer the same way. And his mom said, I wouldn't have to search the entire internet in one night if I had known about this. How courageous of them within, within the institution of their own religion to recognize this, this need for authenticity, this desire and this need to just speak out and be who you are. That is what your soul is asking of you. The quiet impulse of your soul is encouraging you to step into your truth because it matters to the world. That young man made such an impact on me because of the confines of the religion that he was in. I believe they were Orthodox or at least conservative or Jewish folks. And it made such an impact on me that they rose up in love. You're being asked to rise up in divine love of your own divine self and offer that divinity back to the world to inspire other people in any small way to chip away at the armor that they've kept themselves closed off to their truth. You living your truth inspires other people to do the same. It's really beautiful. And that's how we change the vibrational frequency of the world. That's how we change the consciousness of the world. That's how you and your small, seemingly small life, that's how you change the world. And meanwhile, you'll be changing your own world for the better. You'll be reducing your own sense of suffering and increasing your sense of contentment few quotes that I love around this to leave us with is that it's never too late to be who you might have been, right? George Eliot, 
it's not too late. I don't care how old you are. It's not too late to start to reclaim pieces of yourself that you've buried or left behind. I also love that you cannot be committed to your bullshit and your growth. It's one or the other. So if you're keeping a story alive about why you can't live authentically, that's a commitment to your bullshit. We're working to find commitments to our growth, right? Which means stopping the bullshit, looking at those faulty beliefs, stopping listening to the bullshit of the world, to the bullshit inside your own being, and starting to commit to listening to, to your growth. I hope that you answer this call, and maybe you already are. It doesn't have to be a big coming out moment. It can be small, quiet moments that allow you to, to break through the ceiling, that allow you to break through the walls and allow you to really sit inside your own beautiful self. And we want that from you, you know? One more little quote. I love who knows who wrote it. I fall in love a little bit with anyone who shows me their soul. This world is so guarded and fearful. I appreciate the rawness so much. I've heard that this is called the the age of fear. Don't let your fear stop you from stepping in to your calling, to your life, to your truth, to your beauty, to your messy, beautiful self. I can't wait to see more of who you are. I can't wait for more and more of us to just step out, step into your light. We're being called to it. So if you feel that impulse, you feel that call, answer it. Thanks again, you guys, for listening. I would love if you share this podcast and subscribe. I so appreciate you, and we'll talk again soon. There's some interviews coming up in the next coming the coming weeks. I've got a bunch of them lined up. I'm really excited about that too, but I appreciate you sticking with me. Have a great day.